0: Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly QA we do live exclusively for our MAPT members. And this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Uh, I'm excited for this first question that has yeah. come in that I see yeah. here. Uh, Dr. Wright, you may have uh, some good knowledge on this. So a student asks, do medical school executives or adcoms have thoughts on applicants who have political aspirations? Some employers frown upon political affiliation when you represent the company.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, so the the short answer is basically no. I mean, you know, I, it doesn't come up very often in an application, in my experience, where an applicant will say, you know, I want to do X, Y, or Z in my future, or I see in my future that I'm going to be running for office or that I'm going to be, you know, that would be pretty unusual. Yeah. Uh, but. To the point of the second um, state or the, this, the sentence uh, that ended out this question is, you know, it's, it's much different. You know, I understand why some employers might, you know, frown, as he puts it, frown on political affiliation when you represent the company. You keep in mind that when you're a medical student, you're not representing anybody. You're not representing that school. You're not representing anything but yourself. You know, you're not getting paid or, or whatever. And so uh, I, I would say this is unusual. And uh, just because you become a medical student doesn't mean you erase every other part of your life. And so if you put in your application that you, you know, are interested in in uh, now the the question may be. Uh, If you go into a lot of detail about political aspirations, then the question might be, well, why does this why does this kid want to go to medical school in the first place? Why does he want to go to law school or, you know, go straight into politics or whatever? So the question may may be more surrounding motivation for medicine. Uh, But even at that, I mean, there's a lot of avenues for uh, students to. Take advantage of of things in the, as they come uh, opportunities that come along uh, in terms of uh, politics within the context of, of uh, medicine. That I don't even think that would necessarily come up. You know, be be a negative uh, for an admissions committee. So, I, so I would say no. I I don't think that this is a an issue that would would be a big deal for an admissions committee. <clears throat> let's
0: let's cut try to make it a little bit more specific to right now with kind of the the in the history of the world the largest civil rights movement going on right now hopefully still going on um uh there was at least one school that had an issue with black lives matter uh, protests at the school sent an email right. lots of lots of people around that right when when students are looking at schools and they have, uh, they they want to be an ally. They want to be an advocate. How can they potentially steer clear of schools that may not be okay with their advocacy?
1: Yeah, that's that's another good question, and I think that's I would say that's going to be difficult to ascertain. Uh, I mean, you'd have to depend on their website information on their website. You'd have to depend on contacts that you have at the school, such as current students or, or former students, uh, alumni uh, to give you an indication of, of that. Um, you know, I so I, I think that'd be pretty difficult to figure out uh, mm-hmm. about what, you know, how a school might react to a particular, you know, thing. Now, I don't know the details about the particular school that you're mentioning, but, um, you know, I, I have seen um, schools where, there was, you know, a movement afoot that um, really um, galvanized the students in a particular direction or everything. And, and the school is always, you know, you have to understand the school is always going to look out for the school and uh, is, is really going to pursue, you know, if, if something is disrupting the curriculum, uh, is disrupting the, the the avenue that the students have in terms of the course of their studies, then the school is going to be concerned about it concerned about that is going to reach out. The student affairs people are going to be all on top of that and, and reminding students that, you know, their A number one focus has to be uh, medical school and, and what they're doing there. doesn't mean they erase the, the, the ideas or that they don't participate in things because a lot of schools have had, you know, um, rallies or, or whatever, where, you know, the students were in support of a particular uh, social cause uh, or something like that. But when it gets beyond that, when it gets disruptive to to the institution, so that, that's where it becomes a problem. But but I, I again, I think it'd be kind of hard to figure that out, barring any kind of insider knowledge. Yeah.
2: Yeah, you know, what I was wondering about that is, so we've talked a lot about it's bad to show up to interviews without questions. Right. And I was thinking about, asking about social causes or diversity or allyship missions in the interview. And the reason I want to kind of pose it to you is it puts an onus on an interviewer who may not be able to speak for the school. Like what example I'm thinking of is Ohio State Med is doing really well with their work on acknowledging unconscious bias, right? And they're not even trying to eradicate bias. They're just trying to make it go from unconscious to conscious, right. right? Like that's the interim goal for them. So I know there are people at Ohio State Med that can speak at that program eloquently, but I don't know that every interviewer could. Correct. Correct. And so I'm just wondering, you know, I mean, a situation like that, that's sort of an easy example because there's enough on the Ohio State website. You can just go check it out. But, right. but yeah, right. I, I was thinking of it, you know, if you're trying to dig into that stuff, if the interview's not the right place to ask, then then do you think web research is better?
1: Well I think I, I don't think it's a problem to ever reach out to the Dean of admissions or director of admissions and ask a question about that kind of stuff okay. um, you know, I agree that not all interviewers are going to be well versed in things like that. I mean you know when you consider that at most institutions their cadre of interviewers mm-hmm. might be in the hundreds. And yep. so, you know, it's difficult to, you know, train everybody on every last detail of everything that's going on at the school or whatever. And so, um, so I think that, that, that sometimes the interview, hey, I don't, I'm not opposed to a student asking that in an interview But I think you have to sort of be realistic about what you what response you might get. And, you know, that the interviewer may say, well, I don't really know anything about that, which shouldn't necessarily be interpreted as negative or positive. They just, you know, they're just not. Yeah, they just don't really, really know about that. But I I definitely think that if a student feels strongly about a particular issue or a social cause or whatever, reaching out to the institution. Uh, even on energy Day, you know the the student might have an opportunity to ask current students about what they're doing, uh, yeah. uh, about ask the admissions team what you know what things are going on at the school that uh, are in line with you know that particular student's um, cause or or you know concerns or or whatever so. That's a good um, yeah.
2: Yeah, lots mm-hmm. of unofficial chances, you know. At yeah, absolutely. The med students, and yeah. that's smart. and even yeah.
1: even in the virtual environment, a lot of the school, a lot of medical schools are having virtual um, sort of get-togethers. Uh, so it's not just one-on-one. They'll, they'll, they're they're doing virtual happy hours or things like that that really gave you an opportunity to ask questions.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, I will just say as a footnote, this is purely personal, that as a voter, I like the idea of some people in my legislature who have science and medical knowledge. Absolutely. So, I mean, obviously, that's not the only expertise we want in our legislatures, but I would love to see, you know, if we're thinking about our legislatures as a symphony, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, And maybe medical knowledge is the oboes. I played oboe. We're like the Marines, the few, the proud. (laughs) I'm, I'm not an oboe. (laughs) <laughs> Fine.
1: You want to be playing the trumpet? Yeah, really. The trumpet. <laughs> is, you
2: know.
0: trumpet. Tr- trumpet has lost its uh, cool. Uh,
1: okay,
2: we'll withdraw <laughs> any specific instrument and just say I like the idea of a symphony. I want. I want diversity of all kinds in my legislature, which in my mind includes expertise. Correct. Um,
1: yeah, correct.
2: So yeah, I mean, correct. again, I'm not, I'm not a med school admissions committee person, but if you are thinking I want to be a doctor and you know that's true, and you're also thinking maybe you have political aspirations on top of that, yeah, I yeah. think that's possible. And I think-
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I agree
2: completely. Okay, let's see. So this question actually came in, um, before we went live, so I wanted to type it up so we could put it here. So that looks like it's me, but it's not (laughs) me asking. (laughs) Any advice Uh,
0: for non-traditional low GPA students when it comes to making a list of schools to apply to? Should we use the MSAR? The MSAR, for those who don't know, the medical school admissions requirements is the service that the AAMC kindly sells to students that aggregates all of the school information in one place, all, all of the MD school information. Correct in right. one place uh what students use it for the most is to look at uh average uh MCAT and GPA mm-hmm. the median GPA. MCAT median GPA mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. make a school list based on that yeah which yeah. i i tell students don't do it that way <laughs> um, yeah i agree i agree uh, i i i think this this question is based around i think faulty assumptions that um having a low gpa means that only some schools will look at you mm-hmm. now it basically ignores the fact that it's a non-traditional student who's going to bring a lot of intangible uh, traits and skills it's going to ignore the fact of all of the other experiences and and who they are as a person to the table and it completely ignores the trends of what that gpa actually looks like so it could be yep. a low gpa with Great trends, right? Because they're a non-traditional That's right. student who That's may right. have gone to undergrad for art or history and didn't do well because they didn't know what they wanted mm-hmm. to do with their life, mm-hmm. and now as Absolutely. a second career, they're like, "I need to be a physician," and I'm going to go crush my post-bac classes, and, but I'm still going to end up with a quote low GPA. Right. So, right, lots of lots of assumptions there that I, I think where students go wrong making their school lists and and not doing enough research into the school and the mission and the fit and and everything else that goes along with with how to look at a school
1: yeah absolutely you know the other thing i think about that question is is you know the student says low gpa not traditional low gpa student and and i think One of the questions in my mind is what does low GPA actually mean within the context of this student's understanding of the process? They may say 3.6 is a low GPA. Yeah. I mean, I've had (laughs) students who come in and say, oh, my GPA is so bad. And it was a 3.4. And I'm like, well, number one, that's not, that's not an awful GPA and I wouldn't categorize it as low. Uh, It's not, you know, it's maybe below the mean for most schools, but I certainly wouldn't say it's low. Now, if it's 2.3, then yeah, that's a that's a low GPA, and uh, and there's going to need to be some stuff going on for that student uh, postpack wise to really um, prop up some some things. Uh, but so I and I totally agree with you, Ryan. I, I think that there's a lot of uh, a lot of work that students need to do that are not, that is non number oriented uh, that really can help them focus themselves on schools where. They seem to be a, a, a good fit. Um, and again, just as you said, the MSAR really doesn't address any of the DO schools. Nope. And uh, and so I think um, you know that, that's where you have to sort of cross over. And that's so unfortunate in this country that we don't have some sort of somewhat authoritative source that says, here's everybody. Now, that's, I think, prob- part of what we're doing in Mapped and, and the, the school list and stuff in, in, in Mapped. Is is trying to reach that point where it can, you know, it conglomerates everything in one in one place, and so that's yeah. another big big part of what mapped can do for students, uh, in, to to um, to give them that that info that can be very helpful. So
0: yeah, looking at it from a, a not a conspiracy theorist level, but more from a, a negative side of things, you have to understand talking specifically about AMCAS, if you look over the course of the last four, five, six, seven years, the number of schools that students are applying to keeps going up. Up. And and that is because we have this MSAR, which is now digital. Before it used to be a book. Mm -hmm. Now it's digital. And so students are going in and they're doing this shotgun approach going, "Okay, here's my GPA. Here's my MCAT. I'm going to mm-hmm. apply to all the schools that match that. And mm-hmm. they're not doing any work. Right. And the double AMC isn't providing any extra info to the students right. to guide them on how to properly pick schools. Right. Because at the end of the day, the more schools that you apply to as a student, the more money the double AMC makes. And so right. there's a very backwards. um, uh, um
1: or what you might call bass ackwards
0: <laughs> bass ackwards monetary <laughs> incentive yeah, for the AMC yeah. to um uh to uh obfuscate a lot of this information and mm-hmm. so the students don't know what to do and they apply to more schools thinking that's what they should do and it's just more money for the AMC. Yeah.
1: yeah no you're exactly right i remember the days when the MSR was a book and i would have a student come come walking into my office and they had this Pretty thick, book. it's probably an inch and a half big. And they would have sticky notes everywhere <laughs> and, you know, flagged all these different places and, and highlighted stuff and everything. And I sort of lament the idea that it's so easy these days just to focus in on the numbers yep. with those filters and stuff, because it really doesn't allow students the opportunity to pick up a book and have to read through stuff and have to yep. really investigate things. So there's an upside and a downside for digital digital things, I, I, this is definitely a downside to uh, to the process, I think. Yeah.
0: Downside for the student, upside for the MC. Well, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. Oh, MC. I love them. Uh, what would be your suggestion for a student who has international credits, many, whether to even put them in the application if you can't get a transcript from the school and only, uh, only from an evaluation agency? <laughs>
1: Yeah. Most, I mean, this is a big question and, and I think the, you know, um, there's an upside to putting them on there simply because it shows a history of coursework and stuff like that. And, uh, and it shows that, you know, you haven't just been off the map completely and then all of a sudden you show up in the U S and here you are. Um, I, 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 so I, you know, the student doesn't indicate here whether they are in, fact, an international student or they just have international credits so that that kind of could affect things we've had over the course of, of years in the Texas system, you know, students who went to a school where it was impossible to get a transcript. It was, it was either in a war torn country or uh, the school had stopped, ceased to exist or, you know, there's kind of a variety of reasons why transcripts might not be available um, if. Now or ever. And uh, and so if you don't have a, co- a, a certified copy of your transcript, then it, it becomes pretty difficult to to uh, to do that. But I think if you have the ability to put them on there, I'd go ahead and put them on there. You know, it, it it's going to depend a lot on on what kind of uh, what kind of results that will get in, in front of an admissions committee or whatever. But, you know, I mean, if you got an extra hour or two to put them in there, why not?
0: Yep. I think the big thing to think about here is always my go-to is go read the instruction manual. Yeah, absolutely. Rachel is our in-house instruction manual expert, but the instruction manuals (laughs) for international schools is completely like gibberish. And and I think the the thing that I always come back to, and again, every application service is probably going to be a little bit different, uh, but for AMCAS, what I always think I remember, and Rachel, you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that if those credits have been transferred into your U.S. school for credit, then you're going to have to put those on your application. Yep. You're going to have to get the transcript for
1: those.
2: You've got it right. So it, it's really tricky. And, yeah, same thing I want to say. Go go to the handbook. Yeah. Um For mapped members, so anyone watching live, the handbook's really easy to find because you can just go to mapped resources and I've got it linked for you there. Mm -hmm. Um, For anyone catching the replay later, just Google, it's the AMCAS. Right now it'd be the 2021 handbook. At some point we'll toggle over to 2022 um, and go just go read all the detail about international. Um, What I remember is that it's required if your credits have transferred to the US and it's also required even if they haven't transferred, if the work you did was technically at an international med school. yeah. Um, So there are some cases with international undergrad where if you can't get the transcript, you're not required to submit those courses. But again, it's very, very nuanced. I've, I've been helping several different students with these questions for the last few months. And in many cases, no matter how much we sort of poured over it and read it and tried to use our best critical thinking skills, where we landed is, you need to go call the WMC. Yeah. Um, and maybe also a COMAS and maybe also TMDSES, depending on where right. you're applying. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is a complicated one. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, you're right. Sorry.
2: Let's see. Next
0: one. Well, this is nice. Hey guys, hope you're doing well considering all that is going on in the world. What are you talking about? I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm I know. looking more closely at my school list. I'm applying both DO and MD, and I'm unsure of how many DO versus MD I should put on my list. Hmm. Scott, what are your thoughts
1: with this? Well, I, you know, I, number one, I give you credit uh, for investigating both uh, DO and MD schools. Um, and I don't think, you know, I, so my, my feeling about the number of schools that you should be pl- applying to, number one, it's an issue of finances, uh, money, you know, it, it costs money to apply. Now, I, again, I'll give a big shout out to, to the Texas system who has a flat fee, regardless if you're applying to one or all the schools, it's, it's all the same. Didn't, not matter. Unfortunately, the other services don't do it that way. Um, uh, but it's, at some point or another, it's going to, it's going to be about money. You know, it's going to be how much money do you have to apply? And most students don't have an infinite amount of money. And so they, that in some way or another becomes uh, an issue of, of capping it at a certain number of schools because you have to, you, you, you run out of money because you also have to consider that not only are there the primary uh, fees, but, many many schools have secondary application fees that you have to pay too so if, if you're going to apply to a school and then not do the secondary but then it's pointless so you you have to consider all the sort of you know nuances of the process in terms of considerations for uh, for the financial picture now having said that i think that the the number of schools i think is in my view i think is really more important to to evaluate you know, what are you looking for in a school? What, what 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 appeals to you? What are the what are the big issues for you that you really want to focus in on and then identify schools that really fit the context of what you're looking for? Um, I think that's really important in, in a process where, um, you know, I've heard so many students before they applied to a school, they got admission, uh, an admission offer to that school. And then they're starting to question, well, do I really want to go there? Well, why did you apply there if, you're not, if you don't want to go there? You know, it sort of doesn't make any sense. And, and it goes back to this sort of shotgun approach that you mentioned earlier, this, this sort of I'm going to apply to. I, I had a student one year who applied to 32 schools. Now, I can't imagine what that cost her mm-hmm. in terms of all the different fees I
0: can, if you go to yep.
1: you can calculate yep. it. <laughs> you can calculate it out. And, you know, I mean, it was in the, you know, multiple thousands of dollars yep. and, and, you know, that was back in the day where, you know, as we, you know, as we know where you were traveling to schools to interview and stuff. So I, I had always thought that this girl spent probably somewhere between 10, 10 and $15,000 in the whole process. Where, which is just insane in my view. But you know, if she had the money, then okay, you know, it's her her deal. But yeah. so I think money is a big deal. I think um, I think philosophy, your philosophy, matching it with the with the school's philosophy in terms of cu- curriculum, etc., it, it is very important. So I don't think there's a magic number that says you're going to apply to this many schools or that many schools. Or I, I think it has to be very individual to you as an applicant to find. And that this is where it takes a lot of time, spending a lot of time with MSAR, spending a lot of time on school websites, uh, spending a lot of time with the with the Acomas and, and other uh, you know other things where, where you really get a good as much as possible a good sense of what the what the school's all about and what it cares about. And uh, and then and then you you make those decisions. Yeah. Yep, yep. Yep, yep
0: expenses.com go check it out yeah i, I think yep. uh, i think at the end of the day really just to to hit home uh I, I don't necessarily like to think about it in terms of how many md versus do i think come to a conclusion budget wise yeah um, how many schools you can afford um and uh, obviously not trying to max out, but like, well, I, I do have $20,000, right? Well, no, <laughs> don't do that. Right, um, right. I, there, I, I saw a student, I think on Reddit, no, I think it was a pre-med hangout, a student saying that their friend applied to 60 schools, and I was just wow. like, that is just way too many schools. Yeah, yeah. Now, now, again, if it's not a financial burden, great. I'm glad you can do that, but from a mental exhaustion standpoint Mm -hmm. of writing all of those essays, there's a diminishing return there as you keep going. And so I I tell students not to apply to more than 25 schools and that's still a lot. Yeah. Um, uh, But really figure out how many schools and, and then start digging into where do you want to be and, and what what type of environment do you want to be in? And then go to, you can, you can go to the, the uh, the medical school map that I have on medicalschoolhq.net and really just hone in and go, okay, what schools are in the areas that I want to be in? And if they happen to be a, D, a couple of DO schools and one MD school, great, add those to your list and, and go from there.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Agreed. <clears throat> Agree with that.
0: Greetings, premed host back here. <laughs> Regarding <sighs> clinical experience, how much clinical experience is too little? How much wood could a woodchuck chuck, Dr. Yeah Ray. I've shadowed a physician in person before COVID, BC, and have been doing e-shadowing with Dr. Gray. I also had scribing and hospice volunteer opportunities lined up, but got postponed or canceled due to COVID. Thanks, COVID. Before I could start. I want to apply next cycle, but I'm worried I won't have enough clinical experience or shadowing. All right, this is... Yeah. That the dilemma du jour uh, yep. f- every day for every student going through this process is if, if I want to apply come May 2021, and it, it, we got news today as we're recording this, that the vaccine, at least from Pfizer, looks very promising. Yep. We're not going to have enough vaccine to vaccinate the whole country by at least until the end of 2021, maybe. Right. Um, right. These experiences are not going to be had unless you actually are lucky enough to have a job or lucky enough to be well enough and, and don't are, aren't worried about exposing yourself to get a job. Uh, students aren't going to get these things. How can, they, how can they analyze whether or not this is something they should move forward with uh, or put off a year?
1: Yeah. Well, so, you know, we've talked a lot about this, you know, about how COVID has interrupted everything and how admissions committees are, are not immune to um, the things that have affected their own institutions. And uh, now having said that, I do think the way that this applicant or the way the student describes it, they do have pretty limited amount of experience, which is concerning. It uh, doesn't really say how much, you uh, Uh, I guess they say, uh, shadowed a physician in person, don't really know how much of that, and then e-shadowing. In and of itself, that's pretty limited. Uh, But I wouldn't, because of COVID and because of how it's affected everyone, I wouldn't let that stop you from necessarily applying this next year, particularly if you continue with the e-shadowing, really put that out there as, as this is, you know, pretty much all you could do and the and cause of COVID and, 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 uh, and that you had stuff lined up, but it wasn't, you know, kind of fell through. And, and then you know, if, the, if the amount of, uh, if the amount of uh, clinical experience was, was too limited and you don't get in, then obviously the next cycle uh, you will need to have done some stuff over the course of that cycle um, to, 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 uh, to improve on that clinical, uh, you know, on, on that clinical experience, you know, whether that's, you know, w- whether that's possible or not is yet to be determined in terms of what's going to change over the course of the next few next months and, and over the course of the next year or so. Um, but I, you know, I think because of the, be- as i said because of the difficulties that all students are having in terms of getting clinical experience i I don't think that should stop anybody from applying in and of itself i think you know you don't know how the the only guarantee that i've ever known was if you don't apply you're not going to get in and so you know if you've got the you know if you've got the money to go ahead and apply and the time to to spend doing it i'd say go ahead and you know take a shot and see what happens
0: yeah i think At the end of the day, right, again, everyone is going through this uh, unless you, again, you happen to be working in a clinical setting, getting, getting that experience. Right. And medical schools are going through this with their students as well. That's right. They are understanding. And I think there's going to be a lot of flexibility moving forward in terms yep. of hours and, and how schools sort and display and filter based on number of shadowing hours, <clears throat> clinical experiences, et cetera. Yep. The, the only caveat I would say to that is just make sure you have enough experiences so that you understand yeah. what you're getting yourself into and you can write a compelling personal statement that yeah. talks about why you want to be a physician. Yeah, if COVID has prevented you from doing that, <clears throat> then I don't think you should be applying to medical school
1: to right. begin with. Yeah, Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And, you know, just uh, I I will say I I heard from a student recently within the last week or two, that they had interviewed at a school and in an open session, a virtual open session, the admissions dean or one of the one of the big wigs of the of the uh, school was asked, how has COVID affected how you view your own curriculum and the adjustments that you've made? Has that changed? How you may move forward in the future, and the, the response was absolutely it has. Uh, I think schools are recognizing that a lot is possible. That they were probably not willing to go down roads that they have forced been forced to go down now, and uh, and they're gonna they're gonna see that performance has not uh, been affected. Uh, performance of the medical school students has not been affected and uh, that uh, the curriculum is is probably much more you know flexible than it you know than it uh, maybe had been anticipated that it was in the past and so anyway but I thought that was an interesting interesting response from one medical school dean
0: yes yes how would you go about dealing with an overly negative or downright mean pre-med advisor? Someone I have to interact with for a committee letter. Wow.
1: Uh,
0: And here is one of my biggest reasons for why I don't like committee letters. Um, They're going to be people who uh, either you don't get along with them or they don't get along with you or a combination of both. And now this person has your future potentially in their hands right Uh, i I don't think that um that power dynamic is fair to the student at all Yeah. Yeah. um uh, my bottom line is you don't interact with them and you don't get a committee letter and you just go about getting individual letters
1: yeah i agree with that i I i think that's completely completely uh the way i would go i would say And if you if you got asked, uh, you know, by an interviewer or by the admissions dean or whatever, uh, why you didn't have a committee letter, I would just be honest and just say I I had conflict with them or they were this way or that way or whatever. And I just chose to go kind of go my own direction. Or you don't have to say that at all. You could just say I just chose to go my own direction and leave it at that.
0: Yeah, I think there's there's a balance there of of not being overly negative and placing all the blame on them, right? Showing right. some correct uh, uh some I can't think of words today, I don't know why. <laughs> some some maturity and going, you know what, yeah. it was just it wasn't a great relationship and right. there were probably some things uh, that I didn't write and um and I just decided to to move on, right? It doesn't yeah. have to be long at all.
1: Yeah. No, I agree, and you know, I would say too, having been a premed advisor, and I'm sure that uh, students there were students that thought I was an asshole. Every student uh, at, loves you. Yeah. <laughs> everyone. You know, I I I I remember one particular student who, um, uh, I my very first session with that particular student, um, I, I looked at her. Uh, information and she had very limited uh, clinical activities. I mean, it was almost nothing. Great grades. Uh, I don't recall the G, the the uh, MCAT score, but anyway, she had very limited uh, you know contact with healthcare, yeah. uh, if any. And uh, and my question to her was, why should a you know why should a medical school let you in? You know, you don't really know anything about what you're getting into. What you know. How do you say I want to be a doctor, and you really have no context for knowing? But and Dr. she, Wright, the
0: Facebook quiz said that was my yes, career. That's yes,
1: yes, what- <laughs> yes, that's right. Well, she and you know, she got really, really upset with me, yeah. and uh, she complained to you know higher ups, and and she was not a happy camper. And uh, she, now, to her credit, later on, uh, she came back. Uh, and, and was like, Hey, you know, I, I get it now. I, I really sort of missed the boat and you were right. And, uh, and cause I think what she did sort of begrudgingly, she started getting some experience mm. and then she began seeing, oh, holy cow, you know, this is a whole new picture to me. Yeah. And so I gave her a lot of credit, but initially I think she would have put me in that category of, you know, <laughs> of a, uh. Downright mean pre-med advisor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, it makes sense. I mean, and, and the reason I tell that story is because I think this is a, a point of reflection for the student to, mm-hmm. uh, to say, why do, why do I feel like this? Why do I feel like that this pre-med advisor is overly negative or downright mean? What, what is it about our relationship? What has happened? Do I have on, any ownership in this? If not, you know, great. If I do, you know what what has occurred here. And I think I think we always have to take these reflection p- point times to say what what is my role in this. You know, relationships are two way, and and I think you, you you constantly have to examine, you know, what what um, role I have had as an individual in this relationship, and why is it kind of turned out the way it has. Have I tried to repair? you know, this relationship or have I reached out or really had a a gut level, you know, discussion with the, with the pre-med advisor or whatever. Uh, Because I, you know, I, I I know a lot of pre-med advisors around the country and the ones I know, I I think, you know, we, we all have lamented in the past students who really, you know, they came into the office we told them something. They heard something completely different. Yep. And uh, and so their perspective was super skewed. And when you get right down to it in a conversation, you're like, that's not what I said. I said X, Y and Z. And the student interpreted it as ABC. And, it, you know, it's not unusual. And I think that often students kind of hear what they want to hear or they hear, you know, the, they're hearing voices from outside external voices my friend said this and so now i interpret it this way so it's not to defend this this particular pre advisor i don't know who it is no. uh, but it is to say you know take a role in, in sort of in sort of this relationship and use this as an educational point in your life to say why why is this the way it is and uh, what can i do to pot- potentially make a difference here
2: yeah, I love that. I wanted to kind of chime in and synthesize the two things you guys said because I think what Ryan led with is absolutely right, right? We already know your last resort is you just don't get the committee letter, right? You right. already have that path ahead of you. So you're going to for the next eight, 10, depending on you know how much training you do after med school, have a lot, you're gonna all for these future years, you're gonna have a lot of people who have power over you. Who are your supervisors? And this is a chance to work on finessing those relationships. Um, and maybe you've already tried, right? We don't know the context here. Um, but just for anyone who's feeling similar listening to this question, um, I love to hear, Scott, what you said about not just the self-reflection, but but the attempt to repair. Um, people have bad days. Maybe he or she was just a little curt with you because their kid was sick. Um, you know, maybe, you'd asked a question a couple times before and you forgot that you'd asked it, but they were getting exhausted because they were you were making them repeat themselves. Um, maybe it wasn't even you. Maybe they'd answered that question 500 times that day and you just happened to be the 500 first. I'm certainly guilty of that. Like sometimes I feel like I answered this before and it's not the same student asking. Right, um, right. And none of those things are excuses, right? I'm just saying sometimes you are correctly perceiving that something is off. But you are incorrectly internalizing it. it is about you when it's not about you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I mean, if you feel up for it for this person asking or anyone in a similar situation, I think it could be interesting to try to get some face time. You know, whether that's in an office with masks <clears throat> or on yep. a Zoom call, and and see if um, some reparations are be- are possible. Yeah. Um, one thing I've noticed with my advisors and mentors and supervisors over the years is um a lot of times people who are under their power forget they're human. So even if it's just how are you feeling? How's the weather? How are your kids? How's your mother? How's COVID going for your family? Like yeah. that might put them in a better frame of mind to talk yeah. to you.
1: Yeah. And I you know I do think it's also important to recognize that well Bonk. Am I still on? Now you are. Oh, did I block out there for a second? Yeah, you did. Yeah. Okay. Restarting but I was I was going to say at the end of medical school, you're essentially getting a committee letter from the school in terms of support of your. Uh, application to residency programs and so this this type of thing is going to go on for for you know it, it's not going to end with with your pre-med stuff like I said it's structured a little bit differently it's not quite the same thing but it's you know similar so if you a student affairs dean at the at the medical school that you're you know graduating from if, if you've got a uh, really contentious uh, relationship with the meds, with the uh, student affairs dean. you know, the same thing could, could happen there. Uh, I'll, I'll be a little bit different in terms of the, the way it's structured, but, you know, so I think, you know, if you're the kind of person who um, has contentious relationships with a lot of people that are sort of somewhat in authority over you or whatever, this is self-examination time. This is self-awareness time to sort of begin, begin thinking about what is, You know, what, why do I keep having these situations with relational uh, Mm. type things?
0: Go to the landmark form. (laughs) I'll give a plug for landmark, although with COVID they're, uh, they're, they're probably not doing very well. Um, Right. Yeah. Have you heard of landmark, Scott? No. Oh yeah. It's a, it's a little cult. Uh, It's fun oh uh, oh, <laughs> it's, it's <not> a <laughs>
2: is landmark yeah. where you taught me about there's what happened and then there's yeah. the story you told yourself about what happened yeah yeah uh, i love okay, that nugget yeah. i love gotcha, that nugget gotcha, 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 gotcha. <laughs> i, I mean, tell myself a lot of yeah. stories guys yeah. <laughs>
0: right La- landmark uh the the form is the first thing you go to and then there's the advanced course and then there's more I, i've been to the advanced course in the form and uh the in the form, you learn that you are a, a meaning making machine like everything that happens you you make meaning about it and and so as Scott as you were talking about, like if you have issues with um, like superiors and people of authority, that there's some sort of meaning you're making there. Or that that could be from from very significant things from your past that mm-hmm. the, that you just we, we need to work through and, and get yeah. through. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it was super powerful. I, I went yeah. uh, at the end of twenty nineteen. Um, and, uh, I think it's changed my life. Uh, yeah, I, I'm awesome. a much, I'm a much happier person
1: because okay. of it. Awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. awesome. Our, we all benefit from that. <laughs> <laughs> oh
2: God. <laughs> I'm going to not comment. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Ryan, I love you. And I like you. Um, So we probably have time for one more. You know, This has come up before, but it's one of those hot topics that's often on people's mind. And I think as we get closer to the end of the semester, it's resurfacing. So even though it's an FAQ, here we go.
0: Yes. What are your thoughts on pass-fail grading during this very challenging semester? This has been by far my toughest semester because of all of the things that have occurred during this semester so we we chatted about this a little bit last week scott of of yep. there's when the pandemic hit and when you were in that semester and kind of everybody moving home and school right. closing and all of that stress right versus now talk about the differences and how you see pass fail and then versus now
1: yeah i mean a lot of schools in the in the spring were forcing pass fail um you know you didn't have a choice it was everybody was you know it was pass fail you know across the board. Uh, some schools had you could choose if you wanted to do pass fail or you wanted to stay with the, with grading. Uh, you know, it was a variety of things. Now, I think we're uh, we're we're into a little bit different ball game now because ostensibly students should be getting used to sort of virtual w- virtual uh, schooling, and, and 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 I'm a little concerned by what this particular student says. Uh, that this has been by far my toughest semester because of all the things. I don't know what the things are that have occurred this semester. If we're just talking about COVID or if we're talking about other things in your life that have affected this particular semester. And uh, and, and so, you know, there's really not enough information to move forward. If it's still COVID related, then I'm a little concerned about that um, because we should be, kind of be transitioning into some, some uh, understanding, <laughs> yeah, some status quo type things. Okay. If there are other things happening, then that that sort of creates other issues that need to be discussed. What I would recommend is, you know, you need to seek out someone at the institution, at your university uh, to discuss this with, uh, an, an academic advisor, your pre-med advisor, uh, potentially uh, counseling services or, or, uh, there are, you know, kind of a variety of resources available at most institutions where you can get advice on what which, what, you should do and what, wh- how you should move forward. If it's all just COVID, if all you're talking about is COVID, I don't think it's a good idea to do pass-fail, uh, exclusionary to everything else. Because what it's going to look like is it's the toughest semester I've ever had. I punted and I just went pass-fail on everything. Um that I would, as an admissions committee member, I'd be very concerned about that. I, I would. It would concern me that if, if because that's not going to happen unless you're at a medical school that's pass fail, which is not very normal these uh, across the country. That's pretty unusual for everything to be pass fail. Um, unless you're at an institution that's pass fail, then you can't. You don't have that option. You, know, you you move forward with whatever grading system they have. And uh, and that's it. So not enough information to make a a total call on this question, but I definitely think it's a little concerning to me the way that it's put. And and, um, I mean, life
0: life happens. Right. And and absolutely. Obviously, there's covid stuff and then there's. Uh, other stuff, parents and siblings and healthcare issues. And Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. you, you add life on top of COVID and and obviously things can get out of hand. Um, I I think the, the general consensus, at least between (laughs) the two of us is if you're doing pass fail now, um, then that is looked at differently than pass fail in the spring. Yeah, I agree. Now
1: we did get an update, I think from the student, um, let me put it up there. Yeah, there you go.
0: Non-trad work full-time, part-time caretaker of my grandmother who has
1: Alzheimer's. She was in the hospital at the beginning of the semester, right? See, so yeah. life. <laughs> Just, so, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a lot. Yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, and I'm a black male dealing with COVID and managing the emotional burden of situational things. I, yeah, I totally get it. And, and, and I think, you know, that's where I think really reaching out to some people you trust at your institution is really, um, uh, really Im- important, um, you know, that somebody that knows all the details and can really aid you. And um, oh, and he says, so it would only be one course. So, yeah. okay, then that makes a lot of, that 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 changes things for me. Uh, I, I think if it's just one course and you just, you know, you go past fail on that course and you kind of explain it in your application, this particular semester, not only was COVID happening, but you know, this, that, and the other thing we're, were going on. And, and I just didn't have many options. You know, I, I think it's all in how you explain it. And then also, again, it's it's a point of reflection for you. What could I have done differently? Where am I responsible? How do I grow out of this? Because that's, I think that's one of the focal points of any explanation Uh, it's not the, what I took pass fail on this particular course. It's the, so what, what difference does that make to in, in the way I move forward in the future? Uh, yeah, I did it this time, but in the future, when things like this happen, I've learned how to manage my time better or study differently or whatever. That's going to make a difference, uh, difference in, in, you know, in the days ahead.
0: Awesome. I think that is a wrap for Ascidine episode 24. Um, Yeah,
1: hard to believe. Wow. Crazy.
0: Half a year of doing this almost. Oh, my gosh. Unbelievable. Unbelievable.
1: Yeah, it is fun.
0: Are Are you tired of me yet? Mm, <laughs> nah, no of course that's, not
1: that's
0: well everyone <laughs> thanks for not. showing up yeah. and if you're watching this on a replay don't forget to go check out Mapped M A P P D, our yep. amazing tech platform to help yep. you through the pre-med process
1: Yeah. have a good night Dr. Ryan Gray you
0: too as well Dr. Scott Wright
1: and Rachel we love you
0: this is Dr. Gray again closing out I hope you learned something from our session today if you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.